Christians have a tendency to over-spiritualize language grounded in physicality. And that's a sermon all in itself. Tonight's Exodus reading is a window into the broader narrative unfolding throughout the book of Exodus. God has set the Israelites free and now they want to go back to imperial labor camps where at least they know they will be fed. I don't know what I was referring to. Oh yeah, this is it. This is it, yeah. So notice in the text that they use the phrase, oh, and it sounds like church people, when church people say, oh, and they complain, how we wish that the Lord had just put us to death. Oh, how we wish that the Lord had just put us to death while we were still in the land of Egypt. There we could sit by the pots cooking meat and eat our full fill of bread. Instead, you brought us out into this desert to starve this whole assembly to death. You've been on road trips with human beings under the age of 12. You know these complaints well. I've been known to complain this way. I could stand here and over-spiritualize the scene and say, if only they had just closed their mouths and simply waited on God to provide. But that does not do justice to the very real challenges and doubts they faced in the wilderness. They were accustomed to a certain way of life as enslaved persons. They were accustomed to being the machinery of the empire, the exploited laborers in an economy of brutality. But at least they knew where the next meal would be coming from. Ancient imperial economies were notorious for their systems of feeding common people. According to Andrew McGowan, who's quoted at the front of our leaflet for this season of bread, the Romans of Jesus' time had developed an intricate, if vicious, cycle of public feeding. Quote, the expanding empire allowed the extraction of food from local subject populations, but also created the need for armies requiring food to subject the people whose food was being taken. All male citizens of Rome received a dole, a free distribution of bread, end quote. There was a reliance on the emperor whoever he happened to be at the time, for daily sustenance. It is in this context of complaining empty stomachs and of Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, that we find ourselves among a people relatively satisfied, relatively full. It is difficult for some of us to imagine how it might feel to wonder where the next meal will come from. Or to imagine bread not as a symbol of something else, but as a staple of one's daily survival. 
The Israelites of Moses' time and the Palestinian Jews subjected to the Roman Empire of Jesus' time had one thing in common. They relied on the emperor for their daily bread and became nervous when that supply was cut off, and for good reason. In the Exodus reading, God does something subversive. God says, it is I, not Pharaoh, who is your patron. I am the one who feeds you. I will feed you, and then you know that I am who I say I am. As the narrative unfolds, something mysterious happens. A layer of dew covers the ground and then lifts at the break of day. What is it, the Israelites ask? And this is kind of a a literary game that whoever wrote Exodus is playing with us. And I remember learning this in Bible class as a teenager, actually, that no one actually knows what manna is. And you know what the meaning of manna is? What is it? That's the literal meaning of manna, is what is it, which is very funny. So they're playing a game with us in this text. And this manna, or what is it, is the bread that miraculously appeared for the Israelites at a time of great strain and uncertainty. In this story, Pharaoh is outdone by God as God breaks open a world of possibility for the Israelites that they could not have previously imagined. By feeding them with what is it, God offers ambiguity and mystery in the form of manna. By feeding them with what is it, God upends the narrative that one needs the 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 strength of empire in order to be fed, by feeding them with what is it or manna, God subverts Pharaoh's exploitative economy with an economy of enough. Every Sunday at the table right behind me, we pray the prayer our friend Jesus taught us to pray asking God to give us the bread we need for today. It's an echo of the manna that God provided in the wilderness. Week in and week out, we name God as our patron, the one who will sustain us with everything we need, not just symbolically, but literally. We say that it might seem like Pharaoh and Caesar have the final word about what we eat. But it is God who offers us manna. It is God who offers us what is it. Who offers us God's very self as bread and wine. This is the God who gets down and dirty with humanity who experiences hunger with us, who is threatened at the border with us, who delivers us from the presumption that we in some way feed ourselves. It is this God 
in whom we find our hope, our sustenance, our bread.